Thank you, young people. Uh, Blake's just going to share just a real brief kind of a testimony of, of, of Mexico and what, what you see, what, not what we did, but what God did. Okay. How's it going, guys? Okay, so um, as you all know, what Pastor Guy said earlier about the guy accepting Christ, um, it was my group that, um, it was actually the very first house that we went up to. Um, we came up to the house, and um, some guy with Bob Marley shirt uh, walked out, and uh, he was kind of hesitant at first. He didn't really, he wasn't really sure what was going on, so we were just, you know, we, we uh, had a translator there, and we were just telling him that uh, we're having a carnival uh, later, and uh, we're having this service later, and you're more than welcome to come. Uh, his house was right next door, so it was pretty convenient for him. Um, but, um, you know, he, he, was, he said okay. He said he would come. And uh, we, at the end of the, uh, after we were done talking to him, we asked him if uh, we could pray for him, if, if there's anything that we could pray for him for. And he said, uh, he was, you know, he kind of looked down and he was, you know, thinking and he was like, started, uh, you know, like tearing up a little bit. And he said, uh, you know, I, I feel embarrassed to go to church because of uh, the sins that he committed in the past. And um, that kind of, when he said that, that, uh, that really touched me personally. Um, so I told him that uh, once we started praying over him that God had already forgiven his sins before he committed them. And, um, you know, he... he uh, he, had, uh, he has a wife that uh, was pretty sick that day, and um, I guess she uh, was about to have a baby. Um, and uh, so later on through uh, the day, uh, you know, service was going on. We were worshiping, and uh, the pastor calls up anyone that uh, needs prayer. So um, I think it was his mom or something. I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, she brought him up to the front of the church, and um, the pastor started talking about him. And, um, you know, he, he never really went to church that much. And, um, you know, just from looking at him, he was looking down the whole time, and he was pretty, he, he looked embarrassed. And um, then everyone just started gathering around him and started praying, and he started breaking down crying. And, um, that was pretty powerful because um, I don't think he was expecting that to happen to himself because he seemed like a pretty strong man. Um, later that night, the pastor said that he accepted Christ. And, uh, you know, I, th this was my first trip to Mexico, and I wasn't really sure how it was going to go. So just um, now knowing that uh, little things like that um, can change people's lives. And uh, it, I'm just so grateful that I was a part of that. Um, so another God moment that happened to me um, through, the, through the trip was, uh, so me and my friend Maddie, we were um, putting together rice and beans for the family before we went out to the communities. And she got um, something in her eye, and uh, it was really bothering her. And she started, you know, crying a little bit because it was she was in pain quite a bit. And uh, so she went over to the bathrooms, and this guy named Will was uh, she gave he uh, she gave or he gave him, her eye wash, and it wasn't really working for her. And 
so I just went over there just to just to see how she was doing, and you know she wasn't really doing too well. Uh, she was in uh, quite a bit of pain, and it just sucked seeing her like that. So um, I don't know why I don't I I've never done this before, but um, I just I put my hand on top of her head and I just started praying, and um, I wasn't really sure what to say, but something inside was telling me just to pray for her. And um, at first, I was, um, I was a little, I wasn't really confident enough in what the prayer was exactly. Um, so Will kind of, uh, once I was done praying, Will kind of told me, like, hey, you need to be more affirmative on, on your prayers. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to put your prayer down, but if you're going to say it, you got to mean it. And, um, you know, uh, that kind of showed me something because after that he showed me how, how it was supposed to be and um, we started praying and then next thing you know Maddie starts crying and we weren't sure if she was still like in a lot of pain or not and um, she, she looks up with this nice smile and she says it's, it's, it's gone it's not hurting anymore and it was um, uh, it was just a miracle I couldn't believe it it was uh something I've never seen before. Um, but just seeing this man accept Christ and watching Maddie um, just happen, like a miracle happen, or just really showed me that God is powerful and he can do all things. And um, I, I'm just so grateful that I went on this trip to Mexico because, you know, it, 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 it opened my eye on... Um, how the world really is, and uh, I'm just so grateful for the experience. Thank you, Blake. How about the ushers come forward, and all the kids go to back, and we have all the classes ready for you, and uh, you, thank you kids for hanging in there. If you're visiting, we have ages uh, nursery through middle school, and we'll kind of meet in the lobby, and you can kind of meet your teacher. If you want to go with your, your child to the classroom, that's fine. And uh, so I know we have some guests here. So, amen. I know I changed it up a little bit. They can kind of meet in the back. They've been so good. Lord, thank you for the, the testimonies of prayer. Testimonies of your goodness. Lord, help all these kids and teachers get in the right classroom. <laughs> Lord, as we learn to give, uh, you're a giving God. You're ready to give your life and you're washing feet. Like, wasn't giving your heart enough? But Lord, even that last night, you're a giver. And Lord, you want us to be givers so we can be part of the kingdom of God. And there's lots of ways to give. Finances is one of them. So Lord, receive this offering as an act of obedience to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is kind of a long story, but I'll make it really short. Corey is ready to preach today. And he, I get a call, and I'm about Magic Mountain. It's about 5 p.m. And Corey's homesick. And Rachel tells me, Pastor Guy, we've worked three weeks on this message. And I've been down in Mexico all week just serving and pouring my heart out so it was 
plan from the very beginning that Corey was going to preach. And, uh, but Rachel said, this message needs to be spoken. God has given us this message. And I said, okay. And so who's going to give it? And she says, Corey's not. Corey's here today. And Rachel says, I'm ready to. So Rachel's going to come and bring God's word on Easter morning. Now, if that isn't a great plan of God, I don't know what is. So, Lord, we pray right now for Rachel. And the word of God is powerful. Testimonies are powerful. Worship's powerful. Communion is life-changing. But, Lord, thank you for the love of the word that Rachel has in her heart. Thank you for Corey and Rachel and family. Thank you for the hours they've spent seeking your heart. Now, Lord, as a messenger of your word, uh, fill her mouth with your words, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Um, welcome to CLC on this awesome, beautiful Easter morning. Um, happy Easter. <laughs> My name is Rachel, as Guy said, and um, those of you who know me really well know that I am an introvert, and I don't do so well talking in front of big groups. And if you look around this room, you might notice that it's kind of a big group. And so <laughs> that means I'm kind of outside my comfort zone. And um, you may be wondering why I would go ahead and volunteer to do this then. And so, um, as Guy said, I love the word. And so I'm going to um, read a, a verse from Paul, what Paul says, um, to explain. <laughs> so in Romans 1:16 and 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So um, I, I feel Paul here. I, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am excited about it. So even though I'm up here kind of shaking in my boots a little bit, I'm also super excited because I get the great privilege of telling you guys about the gospel of Christ, and it is powerful, as Paul said, and it is, is something that can transform lives, and it brings salvation to all people, um, regardless of who you are and what you've done. As Pastor Guy has said already, the, because of the cross of Christ, we have the ability to have peace with God, and so um, I, I'm going to tell you about the gospel today. So um, if you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3, um, this story is about um, a man named Nicodemus, and he was a leader of the Jews. He was a religious leader. He was part of the Pharisees. And um, if you know about the Pharisees, um, they, were, they were those who studied the scriptures and loved the scriptures, and they loved God, and they wanted... They wanted um, to obey God and follow God, and yet here they were, um, they were observing Jesus in his ministry, and they didn't like it. And so they were coming against Jesus, and they were questioning him, and they were, they, they were convinced that he was not from God. And this man, Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus by night. So he's like, he knows that his fellow Pharisees are not happy with Jesus, but he saw something, and he saw that Jesus was from God, and he came to him, and he said, hey, Jesus, I know that you are from God. And Jesus looks at him, and he says that if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. 
And Nicodemus, he's obviously full of questions because he's like, okay, well, well, what does that mean? How can I be born again? How can I go again and, and be born from my mother again? That doesn't make any sense. And Jesus says, well, there are two births. You must be born of water and of the spirit. You must be born physically. You must come into this world kicking and screaming and be cared for by your mom and, and all that. But you also have to be born of the spirit. And so Nicodemus, with his questions, he says, well, how does that work? How, how am I going to be born by the Spirit? And so um, Jesus starts explaining, and I'm going to read you, um, going down to verse 14, part of Jesus' response. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Um, Jesus is referring here to a story from Numbers chapter 21. And it's a story about the Israelites who were God's chosen people, and they had been in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years, and God sent Moses, his servant, to bring them out of slavery, to bring them into freedom, to take them and lead them through the wilderness into the promised land. And so this story finds the Israelites in the middle of the desert. They've um, already seen countless miracles. God has cared for them. He has fed them and given them water and given them protection and given them guidance. And the way the Israelites respond to all this is not great. (laughs) The Israelites grumbled and they complained and they disobeyed God time and time and time again. And so here we find them doing that one more time. In verse 4 of Numbers 21, it says, the people became impatient on the way. They were impatient. They didn't like the way God was saving them from slavery. They were like, oh, I, I don't really care for this manna, this, these quail that you're just laying out for us. This is not how I had it in mind. In fact, they, there were times where they said they wanted to go back to Egypt because it was better there. They were, they were complaining about their salvation. <laughs> and, and they disrespected God, and they disrespected Moses. And so God gave them the penalty for those sins. So the penalty for those sins was death. And God sent fiery serpents into the camp, and these serpents were going around biting them, and the people who got bit died. They just dropped dead. And the Israelites figured it out real quick that they were in the wrong. And so they go to Moses, and they they repent, and they say, Moses, we have sinned. We've sinned against God. We've sinned against you. Please go to God. Pray, Pray and ask him to remove these serpents from us. And so God told Moses to make a fiery serpent out of bronze and lift it up on a pole. And anyone who was bit by the serpents, if they looked to that pole, if they looked to the the fiery serpent up on the pole, then they would be saved. They wouldn't die. And so Jesus is saying here that he too will be lifted up. So Moses mediated with God and... um, Jesus came, and he was going to be lifted up also. So um, I was raised in church. Um, My parents are sitting back here. They have brought me to church since I was too young to understand what was going on with these Israelites. And I can tell you, my whole life, it's been the question has been, what is wrong with these Israelites? Because they were stiff-necked. They were disobedient. They were complaining. I mean, whining all the time. And God was just like paving the way for them. He was taking them to the promised land. He was caring for them as a shepherd cares for his sheep. And, and they just wouldn't go the right way. They wouldn't obey God. And, and I just kind of, I know that there were times where I was like, what's up with these Israelites? What is wrong with them? 
Well, the same thing is wrong with the Israelites that has been wrong with every person since Adam and Eve ate of that tree, as we saw in the, um, the little drama that the young people did. And um, it's, the problem is that they were ruled by sin. So I'm going to take you back to Genesis. I know we already had the story a little bit um, in the drama, but this is a part of the Bible I love. So Genesis 1, God is creating the world by his voice alone. And he says, let there be light, and there's light. And what does God say about the light? He says it is good. And he creates the waters, and he creates the earth, and he creates the plants, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good. Everything God created was good. He created the animals, and they were good. And then he got down in the dirt, and he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. And he breathed his very own breath into Adam. And he said he was good. And he created Eve out of Adam's rib bone. And he looked at everything, the whole of creation. And the Bible says that God said it was very good. And then, and then we come a couple chapters later, and, and things start to not get so good. Satan comes along, and he starts questioning Adam and Eve. God had given Adam and Eve this good land, and he said, have dominion over it. Care for the animals. Care for the plants. Do well. Multiply. Enjoy this good land I've made. And Satan comes along, and he says, hmm, did, did God really? So God, God had told them, though, enjoy everything except don't eat of this one tree. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's not good for you. Because in the day that you do it, you're going to die. He told them, these are the consequences. I tell my kids, this is the consequence. Don't do that. These are the consequences. And they know. Well, God gave Adam and Eve a consequence. He told them ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. And then Satan came along. He starts asking, well, did God really say that you would die? And Eve's like, well, yeah, he did. And so Satan says, well, God's lying to you. If you eat of this tree... God knows that when you do, you're going to have knowledge of good and evil. You're going to be like God. And Eve thought, well, this does look good. And I like the idea of knowing a lot of stuff. I like the idea of the knowledge of good and evil. So she takes a bite, and she takes it to Adam. And right then and there, God's good world was broken. Sin entered the world, and through sin, death entered the world, just like God told them. And God's good world was changed forever. And because of what Adam did, it changed us forever. It changed all of his descendants. Because Adam, who was made in the image of God, he was made to operate in a relationship with God. But when Adam chose sin, he broke that relationship off with God. He, he ruined it. And he introduced sin into his heart. And God does not tolerate sin. God is a holy God. He demands holiness from us. In fact, God, God has a set of standards, and his standards for us is that he demands one holy, righteous life from each of us. And because of Adam's sin, we are now born into a life with a sin nature. That means that our natural thing to do is sin. Have you ever seen a two-year-old lie to you? I have. It's like, what? What just happened here? How do you even know how to lie? Where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from Adam. It came from the sin that is 
rooted inside our hearts before we even know how to speak. Before we know how to speak, we have the capacity to lie. We have the capacity to break God's heart. We have the capacity to sin. And because of that, the Israelites sinned. Because of that, we sin. So (laughs) here we are with this good world that's been broken. Here we are with our sin. What do we do with it? Well, we can't meet God's standards. We can't build our way to God. We can't strive, no matter whether we, no, no matter how much we do, if we give to loaves and fishes and we ring the bell for the Salvation Army at the um, Christmas season or if we help out at church or whatever we do, if it's built on what we're doing, it's not going to ever reach that standard that God has. We can't do it. God's standards are to love God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two great commandments that Jesus talks about in Matthew 22. And everything else in the law, that hangs on it, right? So, if you're, so God's asking you to love him with everything you have and love others. And guess what? I've done things that were not loving this week. I'm a sinner. That's who I am. It came from my father, Adam, not Abraham, all the way back in the garden, came there. So God has these holy standards, and I can't meet them. This penalty for my sin is death and separation from God and spiritual death. That's what it is. So getting back to the Israelites, Moses went to God as a mediator, and God gave the people a way to be saved from the death that they had earned on their own with their sins. All they had to do was look up to that snake and have faith that God was going to save them when they looked up to that snake, and then they wouldn't die. Here in in John 3, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that the way to be born of the Spirit comes through a sacrifice he is going to make, going and, and being up on a pole, being up on a cross as the snake was. It didn't have anything to do with what Nicodemus did. Nicodemus, who was a great... Um, religious leader, he wasn't going to be able to reach the standards that God has. So Jesus said he was going to come. He's telling him, he's getting ready to do this. Uh, He says, I'm going to go and die on the cross for you. So let's continue in John 3, verse 16. Jesus goes on and he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in the order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Okay, so we've established this already. We deserve condemnation. We are sinners, and we deserve death. Jesus offers salvation instead of condemnation. Jesus, the holy, perfect son of God, comes to earth, and he doesn't look down on us and say, you're a sinner. You deserve to die. He looks at you and says, you're a sinner, and I'm going to give you life. John, Romans 5, 8 through 10 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. 
And going down a little further in verse 18, it says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Okay, so let's talk about a little vocabulary there. Um, As some of you know, I like words, I like vocabulary, but these are important. There's some big important words here that when we understand them, we can understand what God is doing for us here. The word justification, it says in in chapter 8, verse 9, it said, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. What does justification mean? It means that God is declaring the believing sinner to be righteous based not on their own goodness or merit or qualifications, but on the robe of righteousness that God drapes over your shoulders the moment you accept Jesus in your heart. Just like in that play, Jesus was draping that that beautiful white robe over the, the sinner. That's what he does. He takes his righteousness. Because you know what? Our righteousness, which, let me clarify, righteousness is goodness, our goodness. And we do not have goodness that is good enough for God. We have our righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. It's nothing. We can, we can strive all we want. We can be the best person, the best possible um, version of ourselves. But we can't attain the righteousness that is good enough for God. And so Jesus says, I'm going to give you my righteousness because you can't do this on your own. And Romans 3.23-24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the word redemption in there means liberation from bondage through the ransom that Jesus paid on the cross. He liberated us from the bondage. Remember how I was saying, like, we all just don't have a chance. We have this sin nature, and we can't do anything about it. We can't climb our way out of it. We're in bondage until Jesus comes and and redeems us. He throws those shackles off of us and says, you are free. You are free indeed. So... Adam, through Adam, we had death and sin, and we were under his, like, kind of like his tribe, and, and that sin was innate in us, but Jesus, when he died on the cross, he gave us the opportunity to transfer out of Adam's tribe and come on over to Jesus's side and come in, and be under his leading and guiding and to have his righteousness that is good enough for God, and so... Um, one of my favorite theologians, Bill Giovanetti, uses a really good illustration for this. He says that when you accept Jesus into your heart and when you take on his righteousness, then God takes everything that's in Jesus' file and he makes a big old copy of it and he puts it in a new file and he stamps your name on it. And everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. That is something that you can hold on to. When you accept Jesus in your heart and you have him cover over your sins, everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. That means you are an heir. You are beloved. You are a child of the living God. You are holy. You are, you are able to be a member of heaven. Remember Nicodemus was wanting to be part of the, he- the kingdom of heaven. That's how you do it. That's how you're born again. You accept Jesus, and you, you let his righteousness cover you. You let everything that is true of Jesus be true of you. So let's talk about what happened on the cross. Jesus, who lived a sinless life, took all of the sins of the world, past, present, future, 
on himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, so we could be righteous. The Bible says that about the sixth hour, while Jesus was hanging on the tree, everything went dark, and it was dark for about three hours. So around the ninth hour, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what's happening right there? Jesus, who had been in constant communion with God since the beginning of time, all of a sudden had a separation with God. God. God had to forsake him because he was full of sin. He was sin himself. He had all the sin of the entire world from the beginning of time to the end of time laid upon him. And God could not have communion with that. Can you imagine the pain for Jesus who had constant communion with God for that long, for, for the eternity, to, to suddenly have that broken off? He did that for us. He bore all of our sins on himself, and then he died. Jesus was a propitiation. You all know I like that verse. Well, a lot of you do. I like that word. Propitiation means it's a, he's the appeasing sacrifice. God had the, his demands laid out. He's one sinless life, and we didn't, we didn't reach it. And so there was the consequences, and it was death. And so Jesus was that sacrifice, that death, that paid the price so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we who were at, in enmity with God, under God's wrath, could be God's children. We could have peace with God. He took all of our sin and covered it, us with his own righteousness, making us justified and reconciled. And it brings us back into that right relationship. And at the time of Jesus' death, you know what else happened? The veil of the temple rent from the top all the way to the bottom. The, the veil of the temple was a place where only the high priest could go to, to be a mediator between God and man. And it was ripped apart because there's nothing between us and God anymore when we have Jesus covering us. Because Jesus is our mediator. Just like Moses was a mediator for the Israelites, he was, like, he was like a little foreshadow of Christ. Jesus is our mediator. In fact, in Hebrews, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. Jesus lives to make intercession for us. He goes before God for us all the time, 24-7. He's there for us. That's pretty awesome. I don't know about you, but that makes me pretty excited. So now that we are made right with God, and what about our sin problem? Jesus didn't die on the cross and get buried and stay there. We don't have that black draping on the cross anymore because Jesus didn't stay in the, the tomb. Acts 2, 23 through 24 says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death could not hold him. That's pretty awesome. So in um, Romans 6, Paul says, what shall we say then? Verse 1, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So what do we do with this? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, in order that 
Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I know that's a big chunk of scripture, but it's really important. We are not enslaved to sin because we, when we ask Jesus into our heart and we let him cleanse us and cover us and, and forgive us with the, his blood, then we are identifying with him in his death and identifying with him in his resurrection. And guess what? That means we're dead to sin and sin has no hold on us. We don't have that sin nature anymore. The, this is how it works. When you are saved, remember I said that there's that file folder, folder and it tells everything about who you are in Christ. And everything in it is true because that's what God says about you. That is what he says about you. Now, that's the principle over here. This is who you are. Sometimes our practice over here doesn't match up with our principle over there. But that doesn't change who we are. So, so when I said, yeah, I haven't been loving this week, every minute of every day, that didn't all of a sudden change my status with God. Because Jesus died for it. And Jesus' death is powerful enough to cover the sins that I happen to have in my life, even as a Christian. So... How does that work out? Okay, so if you have asked Jesus into your heart and you are a Christian, then this is who you are, this principle over here. Imagine this imaginary principle, this file cabinet, okay? And over here, this is, this is you trying to work out your salvation. This is you trying. But guess what? You're still not perfect. And Jesus is covering all these imperfections over here, and he's also transforming you. In Romans 12, um, verse 1, it says, in view of God's mercy, I, I ask you to... I'm just quoting this, so I'm getting a little... <laughs> Therefore, in view of God's mercy, <laughs> I, I beg you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. God, God says, okay, here, I've given you all this mercy, and now, now you're going to... Your response is to present yourself over and over again as a living sacrifice and say, God, change me. Make me like this. Make me like you. Make me match my practice to my principle. Okay, so today, whether you are in slavery to shame, to addiction, to self-hatred or fear, morality, religiosity, hatred, pride, envy, lust, the list goes on. Sin. Complacency, indifference, anything that I haven't mentioned, whatever it is in your life that's ma making you not good enough for God, whatever it is, Jesus died for it. So whatever, whatever sin that has its claws in you, the cross of Christ is more powerful. God loves you, and he sent his son to die for you. Jesus took all sin upon himself and paid the penalty for it with his death. Then he rose again on the third day, and he conquered sin and he conquered death. And because he defeated sin and death, those who believe on Jesus and choose to identify with him in his death also identify with him in his resurrection and have victory over sin. So in 1 John 5, 4 through 5, it says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? I'm gonna... I'm going to end off with one more verse for you guys. 
in Romans 6, 13 through 14, it says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. That's what it looks like, guys. That's what it looks like when, when you accept Jesus and when you allow him to transform your life, you are able to live in victory because sin has no hold on you. You are not a slave to sin. As the worship team and the prayer team come up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a chance to come up here and, and spend some time praying, talking to God. So if you are here today and you have not put your faith in Jesus yet, if you're still living in slavery, if you're in bondage to sin, whatever sin it is, come up. Let us pray with you. Today is the day of salvation. Come up. If you are saved and you're not walking in the victory that Jesus bought you, if you're allowing sin to rule your life through, through Jesus' sacrifice, you have the victory. Let us pray for you. You need to receive that victory that came with Jesus resurrecting from the dead. And if you're here today and you want to pray and, and just talk to God about what it looks like to live in light of the gospel, what it looks like to present your, yourself to God at, for righteousness, come on down. Let's pray. stand together. So you've been invited to pray, to come to him, to be saved, to restore that relationship, to walk in that. And this is between you and God. We're here to pray. We're here to encourage you. Thank you, Rachel, for sharing the heart of God. And I want you to leave today in victory. I want you to leave in the power of the gospel, the good news that saves us, the good news that transforms us, the love of God. Thank you, Lord. So the altars are open. Uh, we're going to worship. You have a glorious day. Understand the gift of God in your life. Amen. Amen.
Sing it out. salvation. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Honor you. 